0: Welcome to the Pelvic Health Podcast. I'm your host, Lori Forner, a physiotherapist working in pelvic health, as well as a new student researcher on the fun, long road to a PhD where we will be looking at pelvic floor problems and exercise. I'm here to bring you information from leading professionals on all aspects surrounding pelvic health for any gender and any age, from the vast range of pelvic floor problems to exercise and sport, Remember our disclaimer, materials and content in this podcast are intended as general information only and should not be substituted for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Pelvic Health Podcast. This is Laurie Forner here. Today we are talking about vaginal support pessaries. So for those of you who have no idea what those are, um, you probably, you you may have heard them been talked about... Yeah, I guess it really depends on what field you're in and who you're talking to um, and what country you're in. Uh, But essentially, they're silicon devices that sit inside the vagina and kind of act like scaffolding to help support pelvic organs. So they can be used for pelvic organ prolapse. They can be used for stress incontinence. The use of these has increased over the past kind of five or ten years, especially within the practice of physiotherapy, which we discuss in this podcast. But I really wanted to bring information, not just about their use, but just to make sure we increase our awareness about the lack of evidence with regards to them at this point in time, Um, but also our need to be cautious with their use. And what we tell our patients, as well as the public, as well as ourselves, I think. Um, They can be a really great tool, but I, again, I think often they can be sold to our patients as well as other people that, you know, it's the most amazing thing ever found and they will work for everyone. And of course, with, you know, great um, tools that we can use, there also comes with some caution so which is why a big part that I wanted to do this podcast. Um, So today I have got Dr. Patricia Newman with us. She's a specialist women's, men's and pelvic health physiotherapist awarded by the Australian College of Physiotherapists in 2010. She has a clinical and research interest in pelvic floor dysfunction particularly post-prostatectomy incontinence, pelvic organ prolapse and chronic pelvic pain. She was awarded her PhD in 2006. She's a lecturer, she's a researcher, she's written chapters for well-known physiotherapy textbooks. She led the team to produce the clinical practice guidelines on the use of support pessaries for the management of pelvic organ prolapse in 2012. Recently, Trisha's worked to set up a professional certificate at the University of South Australia um, on the conservative management of pelvic organ prolapse, which started just in July this year. Trish also consults to Flex Rehabilitation Clinic and to South Terrace Urology, where she's a Director of Physiotherapy Services for Men Undergoing Robotic-Assisted Radical Prostate Surgery. Her research in this area has been published in the Australian and New Zealand Continents Journal. So today we talk about just the general basics of pessaries. Like I said, the pros and cons, um, a really interesting portion is, How we as physios have recently taken on pessary prescription and fitting, which has traditionally been the gynecologist's scope of practice, and our role is still being defined. Um, And we also talk about the importance of collaboration if you're using pessaries with the medical professionals, so the GPs, the gynees, and the urogynees. So we are going to jump in right into the conversation with Dr. Trish Newman. So how did you get into pessaries?
1: Well it started back in 2009 with the CFA, uh, Continence Foundation uh, of Australia Conference in Adelaide that year and there are always uh, pre-conference workshops and so one of the pre-conference workshops was run by um, a Canadian uh, nurse, um, Leslie Hansen, who ran a, and still runs I suspect, a pessary, a nurse-led pessary clinic in Canada somewhere and Uh, The workshop was attended by lots of physios and nurses, obviously, and we physios were very impressed and thought that this was something that made a lot of sense um, for physios to be doing in our clinical practice to provide a conservative management option that was really um, um, holistic so you could support the prolapse, work on the pelvic floor muscle training side of things. Provide lifestyle advice, etc., and so uh, women would get a, a whole package from the physio. Um, but of course, this wasn't our scope of practice. You know, it was the gynecies that were were doing it. And one of the hurdles with with pessaries was um, to access a gynae who would actually be interested in fitting a pessary, because even though one would think that a conservative option is a, an important option when you think about do no harm in the first instance. Of course, gynaecologists are surgeons at heart and very often have one trial of a pessary, it didn't work, and they would end up with surgery. And so I think um, a physio is in a very good position to have that extra patience to trial one type of pessary. If that doesn't work, then to try another type. And to be, um, yeah, more patient in finding a solution for women to give them the chance to go away and try it. Um, and so that was the that was the beginning where the seed was planted that something, uh, this was something that physios could reasonably do. And um, so the first step was to look for some clinical practice guidelines to follow. Okay, so where the clinical practice guidelines? They didn't exist. <laughs> so... The first step was, in fact, to develop some, which took me back to the Centre for Allied Health Evidence and Professor Karen Grimmer, who was the director of it at that stage, and one of their sort of core businesses is developing clinical practice guidelines. So um, that's what we set about doing with an expert working party um, with um, Kate Moore, Professor of Eurogyne in Sydney, and Chris Barry, um, gynecologist in Adelaide, two GPs who are interested in pessary fitting, two nurses who were experts at pessary fitting, and two physios who were um, interested in pessary fitting. And so um, the clinical practice guidelines were developed and they were um, uh, published in 2012. And the next step was an interesting one because we wanted them to be endorsed by various bodies. So the, the College of GPs endorsed them, yep, got the big tick, the nurses endorsed them, physios accepted them, um, but the stumbling block was the um, College of ONG represented by the Eurogynes who said, yes, this is a very nice um, document and we don't have any problem with the document itself, but we um, are not going to endorse them because of our concerns about training, mm. that physios who are following these guidelines, actually need to be properly trained to use them. And so I felt it was important to go about this the right way and train physios properly. I ran three courses with uh, Chris Barry, who's a a gynae with an interest in neurogynae, and that was through the CFA. And having done, having run three of those, I actually evaluated people's people's perception of how well equipped they felt to be using Mm pestries, and were they using in clinical practice and found that a lot of people felt they didn't have the confidence to actually use them Um, they weren't using them in clinical practice there were all sorts of obstacles that they'd discovered um, because they couldn't set it up in their practice they needed sterilizing etc etc so um, it became it became obvious to me and I also developed a greater sense of the need for some standards in training, that Mm. if we were going to be um, working towards uh, physios using pessaries, this is not our scope of practice. Mm. And so we have to be very careful about moving into the urogynese or the gyne scope uh, area of practice um, without training. Mm. And so that was my motivation for saying, stop, I'm not running any more courses where people – just get a certificate of attendance, that doesn't stack up in a court of law that you've just been along to a course, but you haven't had your competencies assessed at the end of it to say that you're safe. So uh, as, a, as a result of the, the three workshops that I ran with the CFA, um, we evaluated those, as I said, and I presented that to the um, WCPT World Congress in Singapore two years ago. And there was huge interest internationally in pessaries. And I think um, the feedback was a a number of countries looking to Australia to see how we went about it. And so I felt it was important to do something really good. Um, Australia's, I think, got a very good reputation in um, training in uh, women's health or pelvic floor health. Um, We've got two of the few in the world postgraduate uh, courses running master's degrees and postgrad certs and so this was an opportunity to set something up at university level to provide some top quality training which will be of benefit for local physios as well as for international physios who don't have the same uh, access to training that we have here.
0: So this may be a a strange question but besides the extensive Um, curriculum for Uragani on top of like their general Ghani medical degree what kind of training did they get in pessaries?
1: Well this is the curious thing as far as I'm able to ascertain um, there is um, little training it's going to depend on uh, the particular um, group that they're training with as to I think training with kate Moore, there will be quite a big emphasis on using pessaries but in other groups there will not be such a um uh an yeah importance on pessary training it's very much more um i think uh, focused on surgical surgical management of prolapse um so we'll so at I, least be on
0: par with our pessary training to what they've received or i beyond? think
1: will be beyond <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think this is will surpass what is available for the medical profession, um, and the course at Unisa is actually open to nurses and um, GPs if they um, have the, the time and motivation to do it. But um, yes, at this at this stage, we only had physios enrolled in the very first course. Yep.
0: This podcast is sponsored by Pelvic Floor Exercise pelvic floor exercise is australia's trusted online pelvic floor store bringing together the very best pelvic floor rehabilitation products available on the market to make choosing and buying easy and discreet backed by the clinical knowledge and medical buying experience of the owners husband and wife team fiona and craig rogers you are assured of quality and excellent customer service Secondary to product sales, the website has an ever-growing resource section for both customers and health professionals, as well as a strong social media presence, fulfilling Fiona's extreme passion for educating and helping men and women with pelvic health issues. So check out www.pelvicfloorexercise.com.au. So if we can like go back to basics, if we can kind of talk about just general Pessaries, like what sure. the indications are. Why would we use a pessary? What kind of things are they used for?
1: Okay. Well, you know, if you look at the literature, <laughs> the literature says that you might choose a pessary for uh, a woman, um, average age about 77 in the studies that are published, um, who is unfit for surgery um, or who doesn't want surgery for some reason or other. Um, uh, so the focus of the research that's been done to date is on a very different population from the ones we see and there's very little on younger women engaging in exercise and that's where I think your, your interest in uh, researching this is fantastic because we uh, just don't know about the role of pessaries in preventing the progression of prolapse or the development of prolapse uh, in women who are engaging in um, uh, high high impact physical activities, for mm-hmm. example, or for women who've got um, uh, chronic uh, respiratory conditions and are doing a lot of coughing, so there's very very little on on that as well. But they obviously have a um, a great potential for preventing and um, uh, also preventing the progression of prolapse in in those sorts of women. So. Yes, so we can use pessaries um, for women who uh, might not want to have surgery, but uh, I think that there are many more applications for women to manage their pessary, uh, manage their prolapse with a pessary, um, and keep surgery as a uh, an option way off, hopefully, into the future. Hmm.
0: So do you find that there are certain pessaries that you use more than others in different populations?
1: Well, something that's not been researched at all is the, the role of um, uh, avulsion in pessary use. And I think um, certainly the literature suggests that you start off with a ring pessary, and if that doesn't work, so it might be a, a ring or a ring with a diaphragm in it, and if that doesn't work, you use a gel horn. Um, but uh girl horns if you read the literature have a reputation for being very much harder to insert and very much harder to get out and so this is not something you teach women for self-care but um and self-care i'll come back to because i think this is a very important part of our role with this but in fact in my experience girl horns can be fitted very easily And if you've got the right patient, they can be managed very successfully with self-care. Yeah, so they're not just these two choices, of course. Mm. Many, many Guyanese uh, don't use cube pessaries. And, um, in fact, when we wrote the pessary guidelines, there was some very lively discussion about whether we should include cube pessaries. Um, But, in fact, there are several studies showing that they can be a terrific option for women and um, they do need to be uh, taken out every day, which according to the manufacturer's instructions, which can make it a bit more challenging. So the woman has to be prepared to go down that path. Mm. But, um, yeah, there are, there are different options for women with different physical char- ca- uh, characteristics, which might be the shape of their vagina or the shape of their pelvic floor, or it might be whether they've got arthritic fingers or not, um, whether they can actually re- reach their own vagina is an important consideration as well but if you are going to um use an algorithmic sort of an approach i think uh, the ring is the the simplest one to use um if it uh is retained Hmm. um because it can be left in it's not a problem if the woman can't take it out for any period of time so she's going somewhere where there are no facilities for hand washing and you know showering and she can uh, safely leave it in uh, for an extended period of time so um i think yeah, the the ring is a an easier one to to start with but not everyone will retain a ring pessary Mm. and so you then need as a practitioner to know where do i go to next what are the what are the pros and cons of using a gel horn or what I, what's my clinical reasoning for using a, a cube rather than a gel horn? And to be able to discuss the pros and cons with the patient as well, so that um, she knows what the uh, requirements are for each of those different pessaries. So they're the, they're the three or the four, I should probably say. Because the ring's not as straightforward as people imagine. Um, it um, can have the uh, complication of the um, the uterus. Um, actually sinking down through the hole and the cervix becoming incarcerated so if um, uh, for the a, a tip for the the unwary um, the, the ring pessary isn't the simple easy option that you might think because there are complications with all of these pessaries including the ring hmm. of course it's a foreign body you're putting a foreign body into the vagina there's risk of infection uh, there are contraindications to using them that you need to know about and the patient needs to be very clear about early warning signs of any trouble brewing so that um, they take the necessary action to um, have the pessary removed and have uh, treatment for whatever the problem might be, whether it's erosion or an infection or, uh, or whatever. So, yeah. yes.
0: And what happens if they have incontinence alone or even incontinence as well as a prolapse? What other options are there as well? Do you tend to well, still use those or are there other ones that you tend to use?
1: Um, that's where you really need to weigh up the the, the uh, issues there. So um, support for incontinence, support pessaries for incontinence is uh, an- another area that we didn't cover in the pessary guidelines. These are support pessaries for prolapse, but there are pessaries that you can fit for incontinence um, that have varying degrees of success and Um, exploring those options with patients is important. And of course, you can put a pessary in and unmask incontinence in someone who didn't have it previously. So sometimes there's a trade-off, a symptomatic prolapse or stress incontinence. And it's often the the unmasked stress incontinence that will um, yeah push a woman down the path of surgery because mm. she didn't have to wear pads before she didn't need it because the prolapse was actually um obstructing her bladder but now that her bladder is up where it belongs um the unmasked stress incontinence is um yeah really a bothersome thing if she is needing to wear pads and often pelvic floor muscle training on its own won't won't uh fix the problem so Yes, there are there's a co- complexities that you need to consider.
0: And What are your thoughts on the, you know, there's a, I don't want to name names, but there's some that are over the counter that people don't need to see somebody for. They can just purchase online, generally mm. for stress incontinence. What are your thoughts yes. around things like that?
1: Well, I, yeah, you know, of course people can do that, but I think that they are going to benefit from, advice from a health professional about how to use it um, and that it's not just about fitting the device, having, having that uh, um, more comprehensive advice about how to manage their pelvic floor weakness that has probably been part of the stress incontinence, other lifestyle factors that might be contributing as well. So um, yes, I'm, uh, I'm aware that you can go get things over the counter, which makes it seem like they're Really straightforward and easy to use, but um, I'm. I think um, they need to, that needs to be done with with caution and advice from a health, a women's health physio, for example, is a um, an important part of getting the best out of it.
0: And what about the advice on using a tampon as a pessary, whether for incontinence
1: or prolapse? Oh well, I think that's um, something that in, any woman can try, and certainly can. Um, can be effective for women with stress incontinence if they 're um, uh, having a, a bit of leakage with high impact sport using a, 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 an expanded pessary just um, can be a um, it can be a helpful measure but yeah. i don't i don 't consider that part of a um, management program for pelvic organ prolapse i don 't think they 're going to work for for prolapse and adequate. I, Well, yep. and
0: I thought that there was a risk with toxic shock syndrome with tampons that I, I was under the assumption that it was something that we shouldn't have patients try to use because from like a legal perspective, if they got an infection, the tampon's not designed for that. It's designed for periods that we could then be held accountable or have I just made that up?
1: <laughs> well, I think that advising someone to use a tampon when they play a game of netball. Um, the the risk of toxic shock for using a tampon for 2 hours is really negligible yeah, yeah. negligible yeah so i don't think um that i'd have any concerns about that but it does raise the whole issue of um, um, infection control and said mm-hmm. using fitting someone with a a pessary does require a good um understanding about infection control and, and the procedures that you need to follow and the guidelines that are available for that and um, also alerting the woman to the risk of um, infection as part of the, um, the whole management with a, a pessary so that she's alert to signs of, of change in the odour of her vaginal discharge or change in the colour of the vaginal discharge that may be early warning signs that um, she's developed an infection with this foreign body sitting in her vagina. So, yeah, that's um, important for, for physios to be very aware of.
0: And that tends to be one of the most common mild side effects of pessary use, isn't it?
1: Yes, getting um, 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 BV, bacterial vaginosis, um, uh, or an erosion. So so you can get an infection or the pessary being a, a foreign body sitting in there stretching the vaginal walls um, can put pressure on the vagina wall and uh, cause like a pressure sore. Hmm. And so um, that uh, that is quite a common thing, but it can be managed qu- quite simply if you um, know what to do about it. But yeah. yes, that's why they do have to be removed and that's why I very strongly advocate for physios being involved in pessary fitting for self-care which means you're teaching the woman how to look after her pestry herself so that uh, she doesn't have to, um, or she, she reduces her risk of complications. So, um, Professor Kate Moore published a study a couple of years ago. Um, I think the risk uh, was extraordinarily high, something like 64%. And don't quote me on that because I forgot to go and look it up, but there's a very high percentage of women in her study who had complications of pessary use and um, that sounded very alarming. But when you go back and look at the population that they were using pessaries on, they're, they're older women and they none of them were taught self-care. These were pessaries that were put in by the gynecologist and reviewed at six or 12 monthly intervals mm. so that it was not surprising that um, these women were developing pressure sores or infections in the vagina, and also the risk of infection um, was increased because, um, or the the complication rate was increased because they weren't taught to take take them out and to wash them and re, uh, put them back in at regular intervals, which is what it appears in some of the um, the uh, advice in pessary management. But is now part of the pessary guidelines that women who can be self can be taught self care should be because it reduces the reduces the need to go back for a um, a gynaecology review, mm-hmm. um, and um, it also reduces the risk of um, so reducing the the cost to the healthcare system and it also reduces the risk of complications, which makes a lot of sense as well. Yeah, and
0: there but, are some severe adverse reactions. Um, That can happen and from the looks of it it generally seems to be when people aren't doing any of their follow-up so you know an older woman who forgets that it's in there for 20 years and then has um you know it's migrated somewhere
1: exactly so amazingly these pessaries if they're left in for a long time do have the potential to wear their way through the vaginal wall into the abdominal cavity And, um, of course, the complication is a very serious one and uh, with um, potential for uh, mortality, not just uh, morbidity as a result. And when you say
0: long time, that's years of not having anybody.
1: Well, it's not only um, the pessary that's been neglected that Mm. um, poses a risk. There are some reports of pessaries that um, have caused problems in much shorter time frame so under six months where uh, a pessary was um, found to have migrated so I think um, it behoves physios to be very aware of these complications um, hence my feeling that we need to have proper training in it um, so that we're aware of the risks and we can adequately um, advise women provide them with written uh, instructions about what to do and also follow them up at um, appropriate intervals to make sure that they're still happy with their device and are using it according to the um, uh, manufacturer's instructions. So um, yeah, not, not all as straightforward as some would uh, like to believe, I think.
0: Yeah. Again, I I think, like you said, I don't, I haven't seen any research done on younger women using it for exercise. Um, Nope. Not even just symptomatic women, but asymptomatic women. And so I feel like, I feel like within the social media world, it's being shown as it's such an easy option. If you partake in strenuous exercise, just put this in and you'll be fine, which, mm. which worries me because we, we can't say that because maybe they may not be fine. You know, they may be asymptomatic, but, you know, they've got some issues and it might give them a false sense of confidence to do more than maybe
1: they should be doing. Mm, exactly. Yeah, I think this is really important for us to um, have some more evidence to support this contention that it's a good thing for women to be using. I think there are the, there's the group of asymptomatic women who don't have a prolapse mm. and there's the group of asymptomatic who do have a prolapse. And that can be a very big group because you can have a prolapse that, um, for example, uterine prolapse that's come all the way down the vagina to within one centimetre of the, the introitus. Um, and they may be blissfully unaware of it just because it hasn't quite reached that zone where sensation sets in. And so um, we have uh, the potential to use a pessary to support their prolapse and allow them to exercise. And I think I I really uh, do love the idea that this is going to allow women to exercise more because so often in clinical practice you'll have someone come in with a prolapse that's become symptomatic And what has the woman done? She's withdrawn from all her exercise because it doesn't feel right and she's afraid she's going to make things worse if she goes on exercising. So um, for us as physios, of course, that's um, a really red flag for all the other things that then start to happen like Mm. um, uh, obesity and um, other chronic diseases setting in. So... I think the idea that we can use a pessary and get women back to exercise is a very, um, uh, very appealing one. Um, but having some more evidence about what we're actually doing, does this actually change the pelvic floor in any way? Does it change the support mechanisms? Because there's some hints in the literature that if you use a pessary over a longer time frame, and I've seen this myself in clinical practice, someone who's used a pessary for a year, you she stops using the pessary and hey presto that prolapse is somehow better Mm. so what what's happened has it been that because of the improved support her pelvic floor is actually able to work mechanically more effectively has it been that the connective tissue has undergone some sort of repair as a result of that fibromuscular structure working better developing stronger fascial supports we don't know and um it would be really good to find that out so that we do know whether this is a, a, a device that we can um, promote for women to be engaging in exercise and to, to be doing it safely, yeah.
0: And I like and promoting, I- but I, I also, I, I get, I get a little bit annoyed too, I think, with misleading statements where we say, you know, everybody should, if everyone uses this, they will, you know, be able to do all the stuff that they want. Whereas I feel like there's still a proportion of women that aren't going to be able to be successfully fit with a pessary. And that's yeah. in like the the literature that we have, that's in symptomatic people. So can you even imagine, you know, asymptomatic or nulliparous women that we're saying that if you use this, it's possibly going to prevent any organ descent over time. But then you've got to think, well, guess what? There's going to be a proportion of you that, you know, it's not going to work. You won't like it. It won't fit right.
1: Mm, exactly right. I think um, blanket statements like that are, um, yeah, uh Of great concern, Um, we we don't have the evidence to support it, and we don't know what um, the complication rate might be or what the outcomes are. And certainly, we know from clinical practice and from all the reports on pessary fitting um, that have been published that not every woman woman can be fitted with a pessary. There'll be plenty who have um, pelvic floor muscles with a hiatus that's just so wide that she can't retain a pessary and so there'll be plenty who will be disappointed because the pes- a, a pessary won't fit and they can try a range of different types and still not find something that's going to actually work for them. So mm-hmm. I think experience with symptomatic women um, or with asymptomatic women who, um, and this might be the younger population of women who've had some vaginal deliveries, who've sustained damage to their pelvic floor, um, can't... Um, uh, can't close that hiatus voluntarily. Um, it might seem like a great idea to be using a pessary to prevent the development of prolapse, but we can't promise that we can actually get a pessary to fit them um, hmm. that they'll be comfortable using a pessary that doesn't actually slip out when they start doing very high impact exercise. So, yeah, lots of unknowns there still.
0: And then, always, I was reading, I was doing a lit review. For something to do with pessaries, and I remember reading a couple case studies on um, some an older woman who had been uh, who had a twenty year history of wearing a pessary. She'd had proper follow ups, but developed um, I think it was cervical cancer, kind of where the pessary had been sitting. I can't remember the exact details, and they wondered whether it was the chronic rubbing or irritation mm-hmm. of the pessary in that position that then you know cause these cancerous cells to produce I don't know so things like that sit in the back of my mind that if we are then you know starting to have women wear them much earlier like again even before babies does this possibility increase because now you've just made them use something for you know 60 years instead of 20 years does that make sense or like is that something we should worry about
1: well it makes a lot of sense and I think um, we don't know the answers to that. I think just wearing a pessary for sport probably reduces the risk considerably. Um, I'm not I, – I, I am aware of that study where there's been a suggestion. And you'll come across this in some um, of the guidelines about using pessaries or the, the um, um, reviews about, about pessaries that this risk of cervical cancer, and I'm not sure that that link's been established. But I think it raises the the important question of researching something properly before you advocate for its widespread use. And I think that the current debacle about mesh is a prime example of that, mm. that gynecologists thought, hey, mesh is wonderful. We'll you all use mesh to support the vaginal walls with this with, uh, complex prolapses or even not so complex prolapses. It, it's a great way to... Um, prevent these uh, prolapses recurring because they're so concerned about the high recurrence rate but it's shown has been shown in the latest um, developments in both the um, USA and here in Australia the class actions against um, J&J for use of mesh before it had been properly researched and so I think it behoves us in fact it was at the IUGA meeting in, I think it was 2014, where the uh, J&J class action had just um, been um, uh, opened up in the US that the gynecologists at the IUGA meeting were, it was top on their agenda of mm-hmm. <laughs> what should we be doing here. And there was some soul searching about the inducements to use mesh early on before it had been properly researched. And um, it was my... Um, one of my moments of thinking in in this whole pessary debate that it really does behove us to research this properly Mm -hmm. before we start um, giving women widespread advice to use them or for physios to be saying, yes, this is something that's perfectly safe for you to be using in contexts that are different from those that have been described in the literature to date. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay.
0: Yes, so, good. I, I remember thinking that, going, "Oh my gosh, am I the only person that's read this? I'm worried."
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's um, I think it's important for for physios to be aware of these things yes. because um, it seems like such a simple and easy option. Like every woman can, but not every woman can put yes. a, a use a tampon. So, therefore, every woman can easily use a pessary, and it's way more complicated, and there there are risks as well as there are of toxic shock with tampons. There are also risks um, and complications with pessaries that um, need to. We need to have very much in the, in the forefront of our mind when we're um, advocating for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Now, this is completely out of the blue. I just thought of this. I just remember, you know, quite a few patients feel their symptoms are worse just before their period or the first couple of days of their period. Um, do you ever have patients use any type of pessary while they have their period and they use a tampon? Or has anyone developed a pessary that they can – that helps with their period? (laughs) As in like a menstrual cup that's a pessary?
1: Um, I don't know about a menstrual cup that's a pessary, but I know women can use a ring pessary uh, and use a tampon at the same time. Um, In a similar way, they can use a ring pessary and have intercourse at the same time. So, yeah, they can be used um, uh, together, not – So easy with um, the space occupying ones like you. Say that would only work with a yeah. That would
0: only work with a ring. That's right.
1: Yeah. So, but you know, these are issues that haven't been discussed much in the literature because the population of women in um, the literature is generally yeah much older, postmenopausal women. So average age, as I say, seventy-seven or older.
0: Alright, so one of the most important topics that Trish and I didn't get to cover in depth, which is why I've just added this little segment in, is the necessity for collaboration with medical professionals. So, GPs, gynees, your So, her and I had a discussion um, just through email. So, I'm going to discuss a little bit about that here. So the management algorithm or pathway as part of the clinical practice guidelines that Trish was talking about earlier, that will be in the show notes, as well as the International Consultation on Incontinence, 2017, their management pathway for pelvic organ prolapse, both state that the woman should be checked by the medical practitioner with a biannual examination to exclude any serious pathology, which could be responsible for the vaginal symptoms suggestive of prolapse, just like a a pelvic mass. So we want to make sure if we are the first person that they're seeing, that they'll be checked with someone else as well. Another reason that we need to make sure that they're um, seeing their doctors is that women with low estrogen or vulvovaginal atrophy may need to be prescribed topical estrogen, especially if they're going to be using pessaries and their vaginal skin might be a little bit more fragile and brittle and make them a little bit more prone to any of the side effects that can come with pessaries. Trish said this really well too. She said, I, so I'm quoting her. I think our desire to be recognized as skilled practitioners who provide holistic conservative management will be enhanced by close collaboration with the doctors. It will also build trust and reduce their skepticism and suspicion about us encroaching on their scope of practice. So needless to say if you are going to be using pessaries or if you have patients or clients that are using pessaries, it's really important that we keep that open communication with the other medical professionals as well. This um, had also brought up um, a question that had come onto Facebook recently where someone was asking about the role of uh, physios fitting pessaries in pregnancy. Um, And based on everything that we've kind of discussed in this podcast, um, Generally, this is a situation where there's really no role for a physio to be prescribing and fitting pessaries within pregnancy unless you've got a really close communication with the obstetrician and they're happy for you to do that. I don't like saying a lot of negative things because there's so many positive things. I just feel like too many people concentrate on the you know, it is the best thing in the world. Everyone can do it. And I just want everyone to kind of have a well-rounded approach to
1: using them. Well, the I really appreciate your, your caution about this because I think um, I totally agree that I'm most concerned about management by Facebook um, where people are uh, advocating for pessaries that in in populations where we just don't have the um, the knowledge to mm. say, yes, this is good um and that uh, physios who've got no training in using them um are encouraged to yes just hop in there and have a go because it's uh it's way more complicated than that and i think they need to be aware of the um the the potential risks and um pitfalls in in doing doing this without the the necessary training you know it does behove us in our code of conduct to make sure that we're competent in the things that we're doing and if you don't have training in this this is not our um this is not our scope of within our scope of practice hasn't hasn't been traditionally so yeah i think um your caution i certainly echo and uh, appreciate that you're spreading spreading the word for physios taking an interest in this but um making sure that we have the the necessary training before we do it
0: so how do how do we make it our scope of practice? Like you pretty it's all, it's almost like you guys went, "Ooh, that's cool. I'm going to use that."
1: <laughs> mm. So
0: does it just that use over time it becomes
1: I think it's where um you develop skills. Um so it's not just about um doing it without any skill base. Yeah. It's about developing um the necessary competencies and it's it's one just another point I should probably make is the Um, the reason that there are no physios in the public sector um, fitting pessaries anywhere in Australia or haven't been is because that uh, it's not recognized as part of our scope of practice Mm. and so uh, the gynecologists have been very resistant to physios doing this and it's only because um, a, Vic, a Victorian physio with an interest in this has worked with some gynae's, neurogynae's in Victoria uh, Health Department to develop competency-based training for physio. So there is a, a competency-based training program that you can do that goes through the theoretical side of it um, the the practical side of it, working together with um, doctors to make sure that you can fit them properly. You know how to assess them properly. You know how to refit them. You know how to size them. Um, you know the infection control procedures necessary because you can't you can't re-sterilise them. They're single single person use only, and so all sorts of complications around that. And so um, now we have in Vic Health the first competency based. Um, uh, training for using pessaries. So I think, okay. So if in public health they're so concerned about this, hmm. it gives us pause to think about what we should be doing in in the private uh, s- uh, d- domain as well. That we also need to be uh, cautious about this and not just uh, rushing into it without adequate training. Okay. So the course is um, run over two semesters. It's a short course at UniSA. And um, if you Google um, conservative management of pelvic organ prolapse, you'll find a description of it. But it's run over two semesters. And um, the first semester, which we're halfway through right now, um, is um, on um, uh, conservative management in terms of being able to assess the pelvic floor, bearing in mind that some physios who – are out practicing, have not had any formal training. And so it's really important, I think, to go um, through that whole process of making sure that a physio is actually competent in uh, assessing the pelvic floor, not just being able to assess strength, but um, hiatal dimensions, uh, assessing for avulsion. Um, uh, there's uh, a four-week online learning um, start to the course, where there's a lot of reading of the, the current literature about um, all aspects of um, prolapse. So anatomy, pathophysiole, um, intra-abdominal pressure, and I think it's really important for us to understand the ins and outs of um, IAP, including defecation. Um, how so? addressing lifestyle uh, issues, lifestyle advice for women, um, and about uh, evidence-based management. And I think there's been, since I got interested in pessaries in 2009, where there was not very strong evidence for pelvic floor muscle training for prolapse, we now have, it was, it was good for in, stress incontinence at the time, but we now have a number of RCTs, with level one evidence showing efficacy for pelvic floor muscle training for prolapse in particular, mm. and having been involved in the poppy trial myself as a as a researcher on that, I I thought that it was um, um yeah very much a, a, a an area of interest to go on and look at um, how to provide that holistic um, management for for prolapse, including the pessaries. Yeah, so the 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 online learning part of the course is four weeks and. Um, then we had a face to face weekend with, um, two days of intensive practical, which started with a, I think it was a pretty fantastic anatomy session where we had pelvises without any muscles or anything attached. And we built up the pelvic floor from the fascial layers, um, with the muscular layers with all the ligaments, uh, so that we had a really great appreciation of that 3D anatomy. Hmm. I, think that a, I think that was a great session. Um, and um, then lots of time for a small group uh, pelvic floor muscle assessment hmm. with advanced palpation skills. We did biofeedback and electrotherapy with actual hands-on practice using, um, I don't know if you're familiar with it, the NRAF um, System, which is an EMG pressure biofeedback system, where you get a lovely visual display of pelvic floor muscles working on screen. EMG so, pressure
0: biofeedback.
1: EMG or pressure. Oh, you can do, I'm like other. you
0: can do them both together.
1: Slash EMG yes, slash pressure okay. biofeedback. <laughs> sorry. Um, it uh, yeah. So we had hands-on practice with that, as well as um, learning how to assess prolapse using um, the pop staging or and also pop cue so it was a lot of a lot of uh, learning that went on that weekend and uh, so now the next phase of the course is uh, six weeks of online discussion in small group discussions online with a with a uh, written assignment at the end of first semester and then we go on to the second semester which is why everybody signed up to it which is for the pessary training so taking the first four weeks to really look at the literature on pessary so that people understand it well. Um, We're also going to be doing transperineal ultrasound training on that weekend because I think that fits very nicely with um, providing biofeedback and also assessing some aspects of the pelvic floor. Um, So there will be some theory on transperineal ultrasound and then we'll have an intensive weekend face-to-face fitting pessaries and and um, practicing transparent ultrasound skills and then the same uh, six weeks online discussion and uh, a final written assessment and that gives you a um, professional certificate in the conservative management of pelvic organ prolapse wow
0: so that yeah that's a that's a lot of work
1: it is quite a yes. lot of work but it fits very nicely between um, – well, with the master's degree that's being offered at Curtin. So we've hmm. got a very nice agreement with Curtin that people that are wanting to do more on prolapse uh, can come and do it at UniSA and have um, the um, uh, units that they do at UniSA uh, um, uh, accredited for their uh, master's degree in, uh, at Curtin. So, um, so they have it, to
0: go to Adelaide twice – is that right for a there were two, period? Two of weekends.
1: Yeah, okay. there were Two weekends, yeah. There are two weekends in the year. Exactly right.
0: Okay. And how far apart are they separated? Like if you said you take international students, how does
1: that? Yeah. Work? So six. The the course um, is runs over a year, and um, so we had somebody from came from Singapore and also from New Zealand for our first face to face weekend. So yeah, students need to be prepared to come back for a, for a weekend six months apart to okay. complete the certificate. Yeah. Yeah. So, Do yeah. they have
0: to register as a university student to then take the
1: course? Yes, they do. They become registered as university students, which gives them access to the library and um, uh, library, all the resources. As in so, all
0: the papers too. Yes, absolutely. Oh, that's the, so, the one thing I love so much about being a student again is any single article I want, I have full
1: text. Absolutely. And one of the great things that we've done with this course is to provide students with um, their uh, learning module that they uh, get for each phase of the course and um, all the uh, readings are linked to the university. So they've only got to click on them and it pops up on their screen as a full text for them to read. They don't even have to go searching for them. So, we are doing everything within our power to make this a, a very happy learning experience for students. And the feedback on that has been fabulous. People really like just being able to click on a link and, wacko, there you've got the, the paper in front of you with the full text. So, Between um, the
0: two courses, do you still have access?
1: Uh, that's a very good question. I'm and, not and once you're done, I'm sure assuming that, you don't. Well, once you're no longer a student, know, you don't so have access. That's hard for anyone, I think, uh, doing research that you do need to maintain some sort of link with the university to be able to have that access. It's one of the, yes, the huge challenges. But at least for that time, you've got, yeah, um, so for the best part of a year, you've got access to the university mm-hmm. library and all that that brings with it in terms of, um, you yeah. You can do a
0: lot in the, that time.
1: <laughs> the research at your fingertips, Exactly. See, I'm, part,
0: I'm part-time, so it's going to take me ten years anyway. And then my husband's already planned the postdoc in Canada, so all right. <laughs> I'll be I'll be in academics forever
1: for a long time. Yeah, yeah. but ask so, me again
0: in a year, and I'm sure I'll feel differently.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I think um, for students having that uh, potential to download anything that might be interesting, you mightn't read it all straight away, but at least you've, you've got it. Yeah, got it there to to refer back to. So yeah.
0: So that's it for this podcast, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Please go and review on iTunes. That would be really lovely. Um, It can be really confusing and complicated. But if you have the podcast app on your phone, you have to go back into the search kind of magnifying glass like you have no idea that the podcast exists type in the pelvic health podcast and then there'll be a little tab for review and then you can put a review in there it just helps it so that the podcast can be seen to a whole bunch of other people so they can get this information as well all right have a good day